Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, also known as TSSR, is the 12 steps for anyone and everyone. Uh, you do not, no longer do you have to be an addict or an alcoholic or a compulsive eater or an overeater or a gambler or a sex addict or any of the other things uh, the hundreds of 12-step fellowships cover. Uh, if you have one of those or none of those or more than one, uh, we ask you to come as you are. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn is the book that can be found on Amazon. And 12stepspiritualrecovery.com is the website where you can learn more about the fellowship. And also on the homepage is the meeting schedule where some meetings are via Zoom. That means you can join from anywhere in the world. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. Recovery for all. Come as you are. All right, today I got part two of my conversation with my father. I did that for posterity on my own account. I would have done this had I not published it, uh, but as I talked around about it a little bit, people seemed interested in doing it, so uh, I'm putting it out there on the net. Uh, All told, I got about seven hours, a little over seven hours of recording with him. Uh, We did it in three sessions, and I think I'm going to put it out in three episodes uh, as well. Episode 293 was part one of the series. And uh, here we go. Without further ado, I give you my dad, part two. So one of the questions that got by me last time was, uh, I know Peachy was a lifelong friend. Yeah. Uh, and how you met Peachy? Well, over my life, I met him when we were real young kids. And I don't know where we were going or why, but Peachy and his dad and me and my dad and one of the Jones boys and their dad. And we were in a car, station wagon, and I suppose it was Jones's. And we went someplace in the country, and I don't know why or what the occasion was. But anyhow, uh, that was the first day, and I was probably in grade school, fourth or fifth grade, something like that. And... And board around with, and Peachy was the same old Peachy then when I was a kid. And then I uh, never saw him again until I was uh, probably in the seventh or eighth grade, and he was in junior high. And junior high was just a block away from Holy Trinity School, and Holy Trinity went to eighth grade so I didn't go to junior high went eight years to Holy Trinity and uh, Peachy was going to school there and he'd be over once in a while Roger Hard a guy in my class at Holy Trinity had a basketball court in his backyard and he lived at just looking at the microphone it's real hot 
he he lived at Seventh and Spring, or close to just a house away from Seventh Street on Spring Street. Yeah, and he had a basketball. His old backyard was a basketball court, and after school, people would congregate there from Junior High, which was across Spring Street. Yeah, and and St. Mary's, which was across Spring Street, and just down a block. So there'd be a bunch of guys there shooting basketball. Yeah. So uh, I run into Peachy again there, and I guess was probably in the seventh grade then, and kind of got to bumming around. He hung around up at Emory's Ice Cream Store. Everybody lived in this end of New Albany, hung around at Emory's Ice Cream Store. So that was a short bicycle ride for me on McCall Pike that whizzed down to Beharrell Avenue. Yep real fast so we kind of got connected up there again and then uh when i went to providence kind of got separated from him again and we didn't get back together until went back went to new albany and then we started running around together and then he went off to the marines out of high school yeah and uh, we got separated again. Yeah. <laughs> then we got back home, both of us, and got run around again. And he got married oh, a little bit before me, mm-hmm. not very much. Yeah, would have been probably been real close because yeah, Bobby and I were born. Yeah, a uh, week apart or uh, two weeks apart, by, something. I think it's a month. A month apart. Yeah. He's like wasn't very far. September twenty sixth and I'm I, August the twenty fourth and Peachy and Will and Don and I went to we played Euchre Pinochle once a week. Uh it was one of them things like written in stone had to. Well, I remember going over and y'all playing cards when I yeah. was little. I have yeah. just well, the biggest Yeah, well we did from a time we was married. Yeah. And uh Donna talked, and when Peachy, when Will found out she was pregnant, it was just right after we found out we was pregnant. And Donna said, let's go to prenatal, I think that's what it was, something or another, at St. Anthony's uh, Hospital over in Louisville. So we went over there, I don't know how many weeks uh, we went to meetings over and you learned how to fold a diaper and yeah. hold a baby and all four of you yeah and we did that together until it was time to have a baby see who's coming first huh see who's coming first yeah <laughs> so and then uh donna wanted to have her baby at saint anthony she liked somehow she met it was run by nuns then, the hospital was. And she had, I don't know whether she had taken some students over there or what, but she met this little nun, that was Sister Alvinia, that run, the, she was the head knocker. Hmm. And uh, she recommended a doctor, uh, and that's how we got we went there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would go over there when, when you were born and Don was in the hospital 10 days with you and 10 days with Neil. Wow. And, and that was just what they did then. Huh. Uh, and I'd go over there after work and sit around there with Donna 
and that Sister Alvini had come in, and she said, come on down to the kitchen. And i go down to the kitchen, she'd have a cold beer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, also, what, you went to Providence and New Albany High School. Yeah. What made, why did it switch around? Well, I never did want to go to Providence, but it was one of them things when, uh, when the archdiocese, the way the ch- church structure is, decided they were going to build a Catholic high school on this side of the river, because there was two in two, only two in Louisville at the time, Saint X and Xavier. Yeah. Uh, so they was going to build one here, and they're. The priest at Holy Trinity and St. Anthony's and St. Augustine's and Holy Family and and St. Mary's and and St. Mary's in Lanesville and St. Paul in Sellersburg, they were all assigned a job of recruiting students. And they'd come around and talk to your parents and tell you straight up, we need for you to commit sending your kids to Providence High School. Yeah, if you want to be a Catholic, that's what you if need you, to do. If you want to keep out of hell. <laughs> and they pretty much told them, you know, if you don't do this and support school, you're going to go to hell. Oh, wow. And so's your kids. And uh, so... Uh, and it cost $75 to go to Providence back then. And I, Dad grumbled about the cost of it because he knew I could go to New Albany yeah. free. And But he said, you know, I've told Monsignor you're going to go to Providence yeah. and you're going to go. So you went there right after middle school. Yeah, so straight, when I got out of Holy Trinity, Holy Trinity. That fall of 51, I walked out the back door and over the flood wall and through Brown Station and to Providence High School. Yeah. Uh, the first annual that Providence put out that I know of, it was after I'd left, uh, it's got a picture of the first day at school, and Jimmy Thornton and I are walking up the gravel driveway Oh, from yeah. the highway to school together huh. on the front of that album. And he ended up being a, a federal judge in Miami, Florida. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. But he and I went to grade school together eight years. So did you just talk him into switching you to New York? Yeah. yeah, I just I just told him. I said, I, I don't like going to school. All there was at uh, was nuns for teachers and Pete Murphy and Pete taught what health and something hmm. and driver's education and coach basketball right. and whatever sports they had yeah. he was a coach uh, and there was one priest and his name was Father Knight and I can't remember what his first name was uh, but that's all we had was priests, and, and I'd already had eight years of nuns and priests, and I was up to here with nuns. And I just told Mom and Dad, I said, 
either I go to New Albany High School or I ain't go to school at all. Hmm. So uh, I went to New Albany. I was a bit, I wished I'd have done it to begin with. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, you don't have... Uh, <laughs> you don't have the freedom to do everything yeah. you want to do. So, uh, did you go? Did did you go to church growing up? I kept going to church. I kept going to church every Sunday. So you went when you was a little kid because mom and dad said we're going to church. Yeah, yeah. We went. We went to mass before school. Mm-hmm. You went early. Went to mass and then marched to uh, across the street to school for eight years. And uh, you didn't go to Mass at Providence, but you had a religion class every day. Uh, And after I got out of high school or during high school, I went to to Mass every Sunday and went to Mass on Holy Days and did that up until probably I was married a couple months. Really? And when Don and I got married, uh, to get married in the church, uh, Donna had to take instructions. So she'd come home on a weekend before we got married and then go sit and listen to a priest try to sell her on the idea of becoming a Catholic. Hmm. So she went through that in order for us to be married at Holy Trinity Church. Mm. But once the wedding was over, she said, now, I am not going to be a Catholic and I ain't going to get up on Sunday morning and go to church, period. So I'd get up and go. And if I was playing golf, I'd go to Mass real early. They had 530 Mass. I'd go to 530 Mass and go to golf course. Mm. And I did that for probably four or five months, and I kind of got to thinking, what in the world am I doing still doing that every Sunday when I ain't really sold on it? Yeah. So I kind of, well, I didn't kind of, I just got away from the church. I haven't been to, I haven't been to church officially other than going to a wedding or a funeral, uh, going to church for church sake, Yep. Uh, for 50-something years. So let me ask you this. You hear a lot of people talk about the nuns wrapping your knuckles with rulers and that kind of business. Heck yeah. Yeah, that you experienced that too? Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, the rumor, the, the, the what the scuttlebutt is, is they're meaner in hell. Yeah, they were. Uh, and it, it wasn't like you went to school. When we went to school, you had a desk, and the desks were screwed together in rows. And you had a desk you sit in every day, and your books was under that thing. And it was five seats back and in this row here. And when you left Mass, you come there, got in that chair, and you sit there until it was time to go to recess. You spent all day in that chair. You got up. And went out to the playground, and when the bell rang, you marched in line back in and sat down in that chair again. We didn't have lunch. There wasn't any cafeteria at Holy Trinity. Oh, really? Uh, we, you had to take a, a lunch box or a sack of lunch. Uh, 
when I was got to be in, uh, I guess the seventh grade, uh, me and a couple of guys would walk down to Woolworth's cafeteria mm-hmm. at lunchtime, and the cafeteria was upstairs in the Woolworth store. Mm-hmm. And we'd walk down there and go through the cafeteria there, and you could have a roast beef, mashed potatoes, and green beans, and a little milk for 38 cents or something. Yeah. And we did that when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. Uh, but the nuns were, they were terrible. And I was kind of slow, wasn't a good student. I didn't want to go to school. Uh, and uh, I was a dunce. Hmm. And that's what they called me. Really? Yeah. And uh, they'd ask you a question and uh, answered it, and they didn't like the answer. Well, you probably would get a couple of good swats. Huh. And I remember... Uh, one time we were we had just moved up to McCullough Pike and uh, the Joneses that we bought that house from still owned the property where Vernon's house was and that field that ran all the way back to the flood wall back there yeah. and they uh, had alfalfa hay growing in it hmm. and it's one of those things that in uh, went to school and one day they had a thing and we're going to write about what we did this summer and I wrote about uh, pitching that hay on a wagon you know driving a tractor and mowing the hay and then raking it and you'd sit on a hay rake and somebody pulled it with a tractor and when it pulled along and it had a dump when it raked like this and you'd stomp on a pedal and the rake would raise up and it would dump all of it and you did that so it made a row yeah. like a windrow like that and uh, how we did that and then we just picked it up with a pitchfork and put it on a hay wagon took it to the barn and pitched it up in the hayloft but I was writing that thought it would you know they said would you do this summer Mm -hmm. and all well that's one thing I did that was kind of fun Uh, and I said that alfalfa was kind of like clover golly you thought I said it was kind of like horse shit. Uh, when they when they wrote that, read that thing, you know, and the nuns sit up at the desk and wrote it. Well, here's what Timothy did this summer, and it got to where it said alfalfa was kind of like clover, and uh, I guess the nun knew it wasn't because it's wrong. Yeah. Now, why did you say that? And I said, well. I, uh, I think it is. It kind of looks like clover. It got a leaf like clover. Well, there ain't no relation to clover. And she asked somebody there was in the country, grew up in the, you know, had a farm. What do you say, Charles? Is alfalfa and clover related? No, they ain't even close. Well, 
Timothy, were you writing this stuff you don't know anything about? Really? <laughs> yeah, man, ridicule you. Yeah. So there you were as a big dumbass in front of, and there's 51 kids in our class from first grade to eighth grade. It's a wonder any kids got educated. Huh? It's a wonder any kids got educated. Well, that's a tough environment to be learning in. They force you to learn. You know, you learned your ABCs and you learned real early. You learned your multiplication tables, and you probably never did have. I know your kids didn't even know what multiplication tables yeah, were. They changed the new math, but I did. Yeah, we did. Uh, learned them all, and, and yeah, I, I haven't forgotten them. Uh, it's one of them things that you learn, and you learn prayers. And you learned some of the prayers in Latin, mm -hmm. and you had to learn that. I mean, there's one of them things you had to recite it in front of all of them kids. Yeah. And uh, at risk of being ridiculed if you didn't do it right. Yeah, and I couldn't do it right. I couldn't stand up in front of people and talk. Uh, I'd get all flustered, and and then uh, then I, I was I a bigger then I was a bigger dunce. Yeah. I, uh, it's a rare kid that likes uh, to do that. Going to a Catholic school was a uh, was a experience back then that you got an education, but I think everybody that went to uh, a Catholic school, unless you were real intelligent, never made a mistake. And uh, nuns was, and there's a couple kids in every class yep. that did everything exactly right. Uh, and they really benefited from a Catholic education. Hmm. But a dummy like me, uh, it was tough. I think that I actually got some psychological scars yeah. from yeah. it. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Uh oh. Well, some of the stuff they do now put a teacher in jail if you did that. Now. Well, yeah. If you hit a kid with and, something, and they did, uh, the, they carried a ruler, uh, and uh, most of the nuns had an eighteen-inch ruler, and they'd give you a whack. And I had always had sweaty hands, and when I'd write, my paper would always get all messy, huh. and I'd get whacked for that. Hmm. Uh, it was you know one of them things that I I dreaded going to school. I'd skip school, go hide in the woods until it's time to go home yeah, again. I can totally see why you would. Uh. Uh, it uh, girls got uh, Catholic education was good for girls. Hmm. wasn't good for boys. And the guys that would some of the guys that was more headstrong than I was. Uh, that would uh, rebel, uh, they'd end up getting sent to G-Ball home up for uh, Terre Haute. Oh, yeah. It was a home run by some order of brothers. Mm. And uh, the nuns and a priest would come to your parents and tell you, we can't, your kid's incorrigible. Gonna have to send him to boarding school. Yeah, or send him off to G-Ball home. There was a bishop back 150 years ago in Indiana that named G. Baldwin. He, oh, really? He had done something to take care of some uh, orphaned kids or something and started a school. Hmm. And uh, 
Yeah. I don't know if you knew Tommy McCartan. There's dozens of kids here in New Albany went there. Really? Tommy yeah. McCartan went there in the in the before right before the seventh grade and he come home sometime during a freshman year. Hmm. Come back home. Uh Mike Tully did the same thing. Skip Rush went there. Oh, I can't think of all the guys that did, but it was one of them things that, you know, uh, there'd be a rumor flying around, you know, recess. Skip's getting sent to G-Ball home. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, you didn't think, boy, that's like uh, state prison. Yeah, yeah. Because it was. You went there, and uh, they were, the brothers was tougher than the nuns ever thought about being. Yeah, and no telling what else they did after yeah. nowadays you hear this stuff. Yeah, they couldn't do it now. Yeah, but you, you, we hear those stories about what happened in those kind of places back then. Yeah. That uh, a whack on the root knuckles would be a relief. Yeah, compared to, yeah, you you know, welcome. Just, yeah, just, welcome a crack with the that, and, and molestation you, and you know that sexual abuse stuff that was yeah. all over. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that was it. Was probably. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of kids really benefited from Catholic school hmm. education, but there's a lot of kids that didn't. Yeah. And, and so, did you do better when you got to New Albany High School? Oh did yeah. You change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I made good grades at high school, and I didn't miss. It. I I liked it. I was I was able to pick what I wanted to take course wise, and and uh, did you play? Did you did you play any sports? Uh huh. No. When I was in grade school, I went out for basketball every year. They had a, a fifth and sixth grade team, and a seventh and eighth grade team. And well, they they played around. You know, it was an organized thing that yeah. all the Catholic schools played one another. Yeah. Uh, but I, I went out every year, and I couldn't make the basketball really? team. Hmm. I was well, I wasn't that tall, but I was. Uh, and I, I I thought I was better than I really was, I guess. <laughs> but I never did make a team. Hmm. Uh, so you graduated in 55, is that right? Yeah. New Albany? Yeah, I got out of Holy Trinity in 51. What'd you do after you got out of high school? Well, between my junior and senior year in the summertime, uh, I worked for Mr. Kramer, Clem's dad. Clem and Billy's dad. Yeah, he had a job. He's in the plastering business. And they were remodeling the Starks building in Louisville mm-hmm. and putting a air conditioning system in it. And it was a water chill system. So they had copper pipes run from the bottom all the way up to the top where the chillers were. And uh, he had the contract to build pilasters and hide them water pipes. Yeah. And then ever so many floors and pipes had to have an expansion placed in them. So they went up, turned this way, up, went yeah. back, and then up expansion again. Expansion loop. So you had to build a little soffit up there to hide them. And it was in dentist's office and lawyer's office. Mm. And it was uh, 
he got the job uh, on uh, uh, t- uh, time and material. Oh, really? And so we hired everybody new. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to work at uh, 4.30 and got off at 11. Worked over pretty much all summer. It worked at the night in the evenings. Yeah, so while, go they over, while they weren't working. Yeah, when the offices would close up, yeah. and us kids would uh, every one of us, me and Wes and Dickie Harrell, I don't know how many of us went worked over. Uh, we had a wheelbar. We kept up. Was in they called the penthouse. Was up where the telephone stuff and everything was on the top floor. Yeah, and that's where the uh, hard carriers mixed the plaster and all that was up on the up top of the building. Huh. I don't remember how tall that was. The second tallest building in Louisville at the time. Hmm. And we first thing we do, we had drop cloths. In that wheelbar, all folded up, and we had a dustpan and a broom, and we'd go in there and cover up everything, and then the lathers would come in and build them uh, polyesters around the pipes, and then we'd sweep up, and the next day would come in and put the drop cloths down. The plasters would come in plastered, and. That's what we did from the ground floor all the way to the top of that building. And I guess, I'm not sure. I think them pipes went through every room. Yeah. So you was mostly laboring. You weren't plastering yeah. or... No, uh-uh. And lad. I did that that summer. Golly, you had more pocket money. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We made a... Uh, I've been working in a filling station since I was 14. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe a quarter an hour or something. And we worked over there that summer, and I think we made a buck seventy-five or something an hour. Wow! And uh, you know, you're throwing money around yeah. <laughs> like you're rich. Uh, and then after I got out of high school, Mr. Kramer asked me. He said, uh, "You want to? I, I I want you to go to work, be a plaster." And Clem's dad and I was really good friends. We was close. Hmm. And and he said, you ought to be a plasterer. And he was an ornamental plasterer. You know that theater in Louisville? It's got all that ornamental stuff, gargoyles. Ooh, and Like the Brown Theater and the... the Maybe the Palace. The Palace, that's yeah. one. He did all that. Really? Uh-huh. Uh, but he said... What was his name? Huh? Well, Charles Kramer. Okay. And... Um, so he had a job of the first edition on the uh, Jeffersonville Hospital. He said, go up there and go to work. Go see uh, Courtney Greener. He was a plaster uh, boss. Yeah. And I knew some of them plasters just from being around yeah. Town, so I showed up, and they give me tools and put me to work. Showed you how to do it. And yeah, and I plastered for three or four days, or maybe a couple of weeks. And Mr. Kramer asked me, uh, "How you like that plaster?" And I said, "Tell you the truth, I don't like it. I'd rather be a lather, because uh, I've watched them guys put them walls up." Yeah, and that was. Uh, 
Plaster Nilo was there was one of them kind of an artistic thing, you yeah. know, it was like finishing drywall. Right. You know, you got good at it, or uh, and you had to like it to get good at it. They don't and, do they do they sand that too, or are you? No, you're uh-uh. supposed to put when that on there. That's it, the finished paint. wall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the lathing is not is like I know what it is, but I'm doing it for. Uh, Almost like lattice work, yeah, of wood yeah. to support the plaster. Yeah, so was there like did the lathers yeah. also like put the studs up and that yeah. kind of stuff? So yeah. they built That's the we framed it up. You go out um, on a you know hospital uh, one floor this big, you know, flat and nothing there, and we'd measure where the partitions go. Yeah, and strike them chalk lines every place. And nail down a track where the partitions go. Yeah. And stand the studs up and tie them together with uh, another uh, 16 gauge wire, uh, hung the ceilings and all that. Hmm. And it was, you know, you, you had to think, measure, yep. and that kind of thing. Yep. And I really liked it. I could lay out. I didn't work when I worked on. Uh, Worked on that hospital. We finished that job and had a little lull, and Mr. Kramer called me, and I guess we went to Bardstown to a seminary down there and built a uh, dormitory. Oh. Well... When we went down there, he started paying me journeyman wages. Hmm. And I'd only worked three or four months on that hospital there. Hmm. And uh, his uh, the boss, Latham boss, name was George Rudolph. And he lived in Jeffersonville. And he was one of them guys that had been a lather since 1916 or something. Yeah. You know, when they put up wood lath. Yeah. And uh, he was, you know, a gruff old guy. He knew his business. And he... he so, hold know. on a minute. The wood lath, what's the difference between the lathing you were doing and the wood lath? Well, wood lath is, I think it's an inch and a half slats. Slats. That run this way. Run They're four foot long. And you, uh, you had a lather axe. I got one around here someplace that one of the good lathers give me. And you'd get yourself a, a had nail pouch, and you had a bunch of them little blue nails this big. And you'd nail them, nail yeah. that lath on. Onto studs. And, yeah, and you left it this far apart so there'd be a plaster key yeah yeah okay and that yeah i've seen it so what was the kind of that wasn't the kind of lathing you were doing no they quit wood lathing by the time i started lathing and we did rock lath and rock lath was four foot long 16 inches high some of it was perforated and some of it was just like drywall Oh, really? Piece of drywall. Like drywall. And you put them up, it left a crack like left. that in them so the plaster would have a... And there's a lot of rock... This house here is rock lathe. Yeah, I'll say, I don't know, sometimes um, my in my work here now, yeah. now and again, you know, yeah. you, when you go it's to It's like drywall, but it was hard. I mean, it was... Yeah, it's hard to get through. Yeah, it, it had some 
probably uh, when they made that rock layer, in addition to the gypsum, they probably had some Portland cement because mm-hmm. it it was hard. Hmm. When you break a piece of it, you know it'd pop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put that, but most of what we put on place, I put rock layers on in the hospitals where the X-ray rooms were. Those rooms would get rock lead that had a lead face on it. Really? Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh huh. Our lead probably was sixteenth of an inch thick. Well, that uh, make them a lot heavier. Oh yeah, yeah. A bundle that was a was a armful. Yeah. But you put that stuff up, uh, and and it was the lead was on the bottom of the piece of rock lead. It hung over about an inch and a half. Mm. So you put that first one on down on the floor, and it turned that bottom flap down on the concrete and then the next one when you put it on top there that flap hung down so you'd have a, there wasn't no gap yeah where the so x-rays could get loose right yeah no cracks yeah and we did that a lot of them i do i doubt if they do that anymore how did it go up what'd, huh? you, what'd you fasten it with uh they, that stuff uh went up with a thing they call a butterfly clip that went around that the uh, metal studs look like like number nine wire front and back, and then had a almost like a bar joist kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, looked it? like a miniature lightweight bar joist, huh. and that butterfly clip would go around behind that and had two ears that went down over this sheet one yep. ear stuck up mm. caught the caught the next one caught that next sheet yeah mm. and we did nail some on there were some walls around here in the hospitals that have wood studs and, and just nailed them on but putting on the metal lathe was expanded metal i think it's them out there above the garage i'll say um i've tore into that too when you start cutting the wall out it's got that expanded metal inside come there. home every day my knuckles all hacked up yeah. <laughs> skin still over on the job uh but uh put that stuff up and tight and it was kind of one of them things back then working uh you go in take your toolbox in a room get you a bundle of metal lead and start tying it on and you keep tying and keep running out and get another bundle come in tied in and run out and get another bundle come in tied up somebody say hey it's lunchtime you sit down eat your bologna sandwich Mm -hmm. and get up start tying again somebody yell at you okay let's knock off for a day and close your toolbox up and go home Hmm. Uh, there wasn't no take a break or uh, go look out the window or uh, no you just worked working and I tell you it was hard work I really enjoyed it though because it was laying you know uh, like in hospitals where I said you know when we built them partitions in there you had to had that opening had to be just exactly because the cabinet man was going to come in and 
put a cabinet in there, and all he was going to put was a little piece of trim around there. And it had to go in, and that trim had to cover. Yeah. Uh, huh. We put corner beads and two or three different kinds of corner beads up, you know, whatever it called for in the yeah. hallways, the bullnose kind of corners. Yeah. In the rooms, it was uh, straight uh, corner beads. How long did you do that? From well, from when I got out of high school until uh, through 1962. Really? Okay. Uh, For a while. Uh, and I was Seven gone years. 11 months when I went off to the service. Yeah, and that was. Yeah, and, I, and then I come back and I I worked. I may have done some lathing in '63, but me and Jim Hartfield started that insurance agency. In six, uh, towards the end of '62, and we started selling insurance, and then I quit lathing and yeah. just sold insurance. What'd you do during those times when you was lathing? Did you like you stacking up money? Yeah, were you hot rodding or just saving money? Just put it in a shoebox. <laughs> well, I did. I had a uh, had a savings account at uh, First Federal. Uh, and I put most of my paycheck in there every every week, and, and it really was a pretty good for then. Uh, I think most of the time I was lathering, I made uh, just a little less than four dollars an hour, and that's when guys that worked at the telephone company made a buck and a half. Yeah. Well, that had been like in your early twenties, from getting out of high school in your early twenties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was 17 when I got out of high school. Okay. But if that was 55 and you worked there until 62 or something. Yeah. Uh, what'd you do? Did what'd you do for fun during those days? Or did you just work? Uh, oh no, heck no. Uh, everybody was car crazy. You know, you just get off of work uh, and go work on somebody's car. Yeah. You know, it'd be somebody had a, a hot rod they was building, or and then uh, cruised around in them. Yeah, uh, I bought my car that thirty-two Ford. I didn't have a driver's license yet. I yeah. was, I was dry. I was going up to. You told me last time about getting that car at the filling did, station that was yeah, out there for sale. Yeah, yeah okay. We've, we've, we, yeah. we did so, that. So you still had that car. Hmm? You still had that car. Yeah. Did you have? You said you had a few cars. Well, I oh, <laughs> uh, I bought that thirty-two, and that's the only car I had for a while. And now I decided uh, I was going to make something out of it, so I completely disassembled it, and. I, Took a hacksaw and I cut the top off of it, and cut two inches out of it. Lower the I, top. Yeah, and I had a had a friend that was a body man, old timer, and he welded it back on and leaded it in. Taught me how to lead it in. Yeah, using the lead like bondo, basically. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a bondo. It was yeah, sticks know, but, of lead. Yeah, but yeah. you're using it like we would use bondo today, yeah. except for yeah. you're having to melt that uh, lead in there. Yeah, you had to, that area that you had to fill. You sand it up real good, and then uh, 
put flux on it like you solder uh-huh. and tin it and then wipe it off with that and then you got the tin a little bit hot and the lid a little bit hot and you just dabbed it on there like it was Play-Doh huh. and have wood paddles that you kept in a cup of motor oil. Oh, yeah? And when you had it filled in for a while, then you'd warm it up, not sort of run, but warm it up where it was pliable yeah. and take that paddle and smooth it out mm. and then move around. But did that, and when I was doing I was trying to think what kind of, oh, I had a 46 Ford coupe while I was doing that. Uh, Then I I put a, finished that thing. I painted most of that car with a fly spray. What's that mean? Pump spray painter, where you Uh, had to manually pump it? Do you ever see the fly spray had a can of yeah, I think now I think back on it, uh, has looked like a looked like a door holder open, you know, yeah. like that, but it had, had a can, can hanging on it. it. Yeah, and you, you had to manually it, pump it. Uh, I painted sprayed it. it. I don't have any coats of paint. I put on lacquer, uh, primed it, uh, sanded it, uh, put a coat of that black lacquer on it, rub it down with. Uh, Thousand grit wet or dry sandpaper. Yeah. Take that fly spray. I painted the fenders and painted the deck or the hood and the huh. deck lid and all that. Uh, I had George, a friend of mine, paint the body with a spray gun. With a yeah. But it was black lacquer. And put that Oldsmobile motor in it with a automatic transmission. And, uh, had a, there was a guy lived there on McCullough, not on McCullough Pike, but on right down the intersection on Emory Lane, named Walter Shiphorse, that was a poster. And he he put a, a black and white leather poster in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I drove it, and... Oh, I guess, trying to think what, I didn't keep that 46 Ford long. Me and it didn't get along real good. Hmm. Uh, Why is that? Oh, it, it didn't run good. Uh, and uh, I don't know. You just didn't like it very much. I, it's just, I didn't like the way it rode, and I didn't like the way it drive. Yeah. It was one of them that looked good, had skirts on it, and it sat like this. You know, I'd, I'd crawled under it with a cutting torch and heated up the springs and <laughs> <laughs> let, it, let it come down so it looked real sneaky. But uh, I didn't, uh, I'd, I don't know. I was anxious to get rid of it. Yeah. And I can't remember what I... What I had after that. Oh, I know what I had after that. When I got rid of that that Ford, I had a a '54 Plymouth, a red and white one. <laughs> um, it was a, not a hard top, a, a coupe, two door. Look, if you look at it, look like it, looked like a hard top. You know, like a two door. Yeah hard top but it wasn't it had a window post on it 
just red and white and red and white on the inside. Huh. Nice little car. It was a V8. Yeah. I drove it quite a while, and then I give it to Sue She when she went to IU. That's the one, huh? Yeah. I know you said last time that uh, that you yeah. give Sue a car, and yeah. that's it. And then huh? I, uh, after, when I gave that to her, I got a TR3, mm. a, a red one. And what year was it? Huh? You remember what year it was? It was a 59. Hmm. And uh, I remember hearing a little bit about the TR3. Yeah, because I, well, I bought that one and uh, was Jim Emery and I was bumming around. I had a lot of friends, and Jim was one of them. And I bought that red TR3, and he went over to Louisville and bought him a brand-new one. Oh, uh, really? 60 model, hmm. uh, a blue one, baby blue. Uh, and we drove in things for a few years, and I'm trying to think what what in the kind of car I, I had some kind of Plymouth after that. I had a Volkswagen for a while. Really? Uh, I don't remember what model was. Most of my cars were red. I had a lot of red cars. Huh. Uh, so, uh, and then when I got, oh, I had a red and white Dodge Dart mm. when I got married. That I bought <clears throat> a year or so before I got married, I guess. Yeah, that rings a bell too. I remember hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, then, and Donna had a. She had a Plymouth Belvedere, some kind that her daddy had bought her. She took to school. Yeah. And it was kind of wore out uh, when he bought it. Uh, I think he bought it from Bernie. Oh, really? Uh, But she drove it back and forth to Bloomington and back and forth to St. Louis. And when we got married, uh, I think the first, we got married in April. And I think that summer we traded that for something. As an April of 67. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was 60 summer, 67, yeah. And so back up it, on that and about, you know, um, You're just bumming around, working on cars, cruising around. Did you ever go anyplace? Uh, oh, yeah. We, uh, Dickie Havermill and I went, first time I went to Florida, one, uh, I was early in the spring, and Dickie was drywalling, and I was working for Mr. Kramer. And job come to an end, and so that had been in the early sixties, huh? In the early sixties, no, no, it would have been late fifties. Late fifties, yeah. And Dickie and I was sitting around talking, and it was early spring. It's still kind of cold, and we was, you know, you hung around. There's a ranch house and a Jerry's out where E R L E L R or whatever it is out here. Yep. There's a. Uh, there was a restaurant there that was an evergreen restaurant. 
that everybody hung around. And the people that owned it uh, sold it to this couple, and they got a Jerry's drive-in franchise and made a Jerry's drive-in restaurant out of Uh it. And everybody hung around there. And then there was a ranch house up where the auto zone is up in Clarksville. Mm. And at the intersection of Bardstown Road and Shelbyville Road, there was a ranch house restaurant. But there's a lot of drive-in restaurants around. Yeah. And you just got in your hot rod and you went from one to the other. That's how you spent the night. Yeah. And go from here to there. And they had disc jockeys in them. And they'd be talking on the radio and they'd see a car come through the drive-through that, oh, man, you ought to see this uh, 36 Ford just went by, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I can't remember the name of some of them disc jockeys. Beecher Frank was one of them. Paul Calais was one of them. But most of them had a, a lot of them had a disc jockey in them that played records over and over again. Played music it, and commentated out the windows, in between. Yeah. But you go from, and people got to know you. You know, you'd drive into that uh, ranch house over at uh, over in Louisville, and people would you know you had buddies over that yeah. lived over there that had hot rods and Jeffersonville, and I knew a lot of guys in Louisville, a lot of guys in Jeffersonville, and just circulated around where yeah. everybody did. Yeah, wasn't there White Castle in New Albany back then? If you wanted to White Castle, you had to go to First and Jefferson. Had to go to Louisville. Yeah, twelve cents a copy. <clears throat> Get eight of them for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> they have any drive-in movie theaters, that kind of thing? Oh yeah. Is that another yeah, thing that you did? Uh, uh, there was a drive-in rest or movie on State Street, and drive-in re- uh, there in Clarksville, where the sewer place yeah, is where now. They, where those were at, and when I yeah, was growing yeah. up. And there was a twin drive-in up there where Theater X is. Yeah. There was a drive-in up there. It had a screen like this. And parking this way. Like parking a this way. two-sided screen and whatever yeah. side you were parked on, you were watching. Yeah. And there was uh, Donna's dad had a drive-in in Georgetown. That, the one in Georgetown yeah. now. Uh, There's a lot of them in Louisville. All over. Yeah. There's drive-ins everywhere. I don't remember what it cost to go to a drive-in, but that was one of those things that... Uh, Carload. If, yeah. If uh, if there's a movie on somebody, the rumor brand, you ought to, hey, such and such a movie's on, well, let's go to drive Yeah. And everybody pile in the car. And, Did you date much? Uh, you know, some I never did. I never went steady in my life. Hmm. Uh, I I dated. I don't think I ever dated anybody more than four or five times. Hmm. And then I move on. Yeah. And until I met Donna, actually. Yeah. Oh, uh, what about was there beer drinking going on around that? Oh yeah, we banked beer. We. 
you hear one of our cars down coming down the street, and we kid one another. It sounded like a milkman was coming because <laughs> everybody had a cooler in the back end. Most of the guys used a wheel well where the had a spare tire in the trunk, yeah. and they had a well down in there where the spare tires sit. And get rid of your spare tire and fill that up with ice and beer. Really? And when you come down the street, them bottles of clink clink. <laughs> yeah, a bottle of beer. Everybody, everybody drank beer. Uh, and I don't know. I never got a speeding ticket. I never got a, a loud muffler ticket. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I don't recall going very long without cold beer in a car. Yeah. I always had cold beer in the trunk. Uh, when I got that coupe, before I got it fixed up, I had one of them Coca-Cola coolers hmm. in a trunk. And when I got it fixed up, I had one painted just like the car in the trunk. <laughs> Matching cooler. Yeah. Uh, but everybody drank beer then. Hardly anybody got in trouble for it. Uh, and it really wasn't that hard to buy. There were two or three beer joints around that you knew. You could walk in and say, give me a case of city. and Fall city beer? Yeah. And you you kept your bottles. If you had a case of bottles, I think, to trade in, I think the case and the bottles was worth sixty cents, hmm. and a case of beer was I don't know three sixty or something. Yeah, was them old heavy duty cardboard boxes that opened up yeah. in the. Yeah, I still remember them too. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But uh, there was a beer joint out, Floyd Knobs, uh, Bandits. And that guy, he didn't care. If you could see over the bar, he was old enough to buy a beer. Had a parrot on the bar. Oh, really? Yeah. And he could talk. (laughs) He could cuss. Oh, yeah? (laughs) And there was a bar over on, uh, it was the... The address was 630-something, Jefferson, maybe. And that was the name of the bar. Oh, really? Yeah, and they, and they sold beer. And there were some drive-ins, uh, Cunningham's in Louisville, before, you know, where it was, before it burned down uh, on Breckenridge. Yeah. They, that was a drive-in. You pull and park in the back and order a hamburger or cheeseburger or whatever and a bottle of beer. Yeah. And had them black waiters and come out and serve you a beer. Uh, there was one right off of Broadway where you had to go between two buildings and under kind of like a tunnel back in. Hmm. Can't remember what the name of it was, but there's a lot of people. They'd bring a beer out to you at your car. Wow. Huh. Well, uh, anything else you can think of of them years before you met Mom? Well, stuff you did. Did you ever go yeah. fishing? Did you ever? Yeah, you I'll all be... weren't hunting, were you? Uh, yeah. You were bird hunting and rabbit hunting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of uh, I did, did a lot of hunting. Uh, 
I went to Florida probably five or six times. Dickie Havermill and I went that one time, and Peachy and I went to Florida one time, and Peachy and Jim Emery and Kenny Wiseman and I went to Florida together one time. And there's some pictures of that around here, right? I Photographs. Think, I've, I have some memories of seeing some pictures, and I know I got a picture of you someplace sitting at a pool with your legs kicked up and you're real, real tan. Mm. And uh, I was in the service. I was out is it Boulder, Colorado. Oh, was that that picture? That was the one you gave to Archie, I think. Huh. Uh, you was reading Atlas. You looked like you was reading Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I tried to read that. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I finished it, Yeah. tell you the truth. So that was it, in Colorado, huh? Yeah. And what year was that again? 60. 60. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jim Emmer and I joined the uh, Kentucky Air National Guard, dodged the draft. Yeah. And we was going to go in the server. We was going to do everything together. So we went over and signed up and raised our right hand and all that stuff. And next thing you know, I got a thing in the paper that says get on an airplane and go to uh, San Antonio. And I called Jim, and I said, did you get your orders to go to San Antonio? And he said, no. And I said, God darn, I'm leaving this uh, Saturday. And he said, really? I haven't heard nothing. I'm going to find out. So he made a phone call, and they said, no, you did that in phases, they called them. You ain't this year in the next phase. Mm-hmm. So I went, and Air, Air Force didn't have a six-month program. The National Guard and, and the Army Reserve had six-month program, or you really? go around basic training, and then uh, the rest of that six months was some kind of training. And then you went to meetings once a month, for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah? And uh, Air Force had a thing where you went to basic training, and then depending on what kind of school you went to, you may be in two or three weeks. You may be in six months. And I was in 10 months hmm. after it. And you were doing what? Uh aerial camera repairman. I had to go to electronic school and did all that in Denver. And Jim went in two weeks after me and went through basic training and he come home. See, he's only only in six weeks. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Come find out something about uh, the school that they intended him to go to was filled up. So when he got out of basic training, flew him home. And then he and I went to, we went to monthly meetings for, well, until 66. Hmm. What was the meetings about? What, like? Uh, it was over at the, air, uh, at the airport, uh, airport, Sanford Field. The National Guard had a hangar over and had jet airplanes and, uh, what they do to what was you doing at the meeting? What, huh? Did you just sit there and listen to somebody talk or what? No, uh-uh. when we went over there, we'd uh, I uh, repaired cameras. Oh, you and worked. 
put film in them, put them in an airplane. Okay, and, so it was used. Yeah, Nepal, called to work, not yeah, just Nepal. When I hear meeting, I think meetings yeah. in my head is doing nothing. Yeah, well, that's what they call them. Uh, this is weekend. This is our weekend for yeah. So meeting. that's that once a weekend kind of thing or whatever the yeah. stuff. Sometimes yeah, I we hear go about over all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Well, one weekend one, a month. Hmm. Well, yeah, that one weekend a month or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and it was uh, would do a. Uh, I don't. Jim did something in an office. Uh, I did record keeping kind of mm. thing. Uh, but I I worked on aerial cameras and put them in planes and got them out of planes and uh, uh, and I would uh, those pilots they had to get so much flying time in and uh, I, we would uh, pilot make a deal with me that he wanted to go to Otis Air Force Base and get a crate of lobsters. <laughs> And so I'd write up the thing about these cameras in and how much film he had in it and how it was set and what altitude he was going to take pictures and all that stuff. And I'd leave a camera in the shop. Oh, really? And he'd fly to Otis Air Force Base and get him a, a, a crate like you get bananas in. Where's the Otis Air Force Base at? Uh, Cape Cod. Okay. And. He'd fly up there, get a case of lobsters, put in the camera compartment, fly back to Louisville, and then give me a couple lobsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I'd write it up that the camera uh, malfunctioned. Malfunctioned. And didn't get any pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so you was doing that all the way up to, what'd you say, 66? Yeah. Yeah. And it went to summer camp every summer uh, for two weeks. Went to Gulfport, Mississippi, two summers. Hmm. I drove my TR3 to Gulfport, left the top at home. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I took my golf clubs and my duffel bag, and that's all I had room for. <laughs> uh, we went to Gulfport two summers. Uh, went to Cape Cod one summer. Went to Alpena, Michigan two times. And I think I stayed home one summer. Yeah, that old thing, uh, two weeks a year and a weekend a month. I remember there was some kind of thing in the reserves that I heard people talk about that. that yeah. Yeah, everybody back then, when they had to draft, everybody had a six-year obligation. And if you went in the Army or the uh, Army had a three-year hitch and three years of reserve time, like Neil did. Yeah. Or he did when he got out and was still in the reserves a bit. Uh, I think Air Force, if you went in right to Air Force, you had four years active duty and two years of reserve time. Mm -hmm. And the Marines was three years of active duty and three years of reserve time. Everybody had to do it when they had to, had to draft was still in business. Yeah. And when I went in... Those people were going to Vietnam then. No, not till I got out. Really? Well, there was some, six, there was some talk, that, well, maybe they... No, 
it wasn't broadcasted, but there was guys going over in 64 and 65 and stuff like that. Well, they was on a training. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was all. When I was in Denver, there were these little groups of guys that had, none of them was taller than this. And you could tell they was Oriental. They had more brass on their uniforms. They snappy little guys. Oh, yeah. And they was marching around. And we'd see them and we'd, you know, what the hell, who is that? And they said, they're Vietnamese. Well, hell, I didn't know where Vietnam was. Never yeah. heard of it. What? And most people didn't. Yeah. And, you know, somebody asked, who the hell are them guys? And they say, <clears throat> told me they're Vietnamese. Not I'm not war. sure. If it wasn't for that war, we still might not know what Vietnamese is. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, but they was on that base at Denver, and they was on an area there where you, once in a while you'd see a group of them marching someplace. And you never saw them in the chow hall, never saw them at the uh, ballpark or any place else, but you'd see every once in a while you'd be marching. You had to march to the chow hall, and you had to march to school. Hmm. You know, uh, if it's time to eat lunch, if you're hanging around the barracks, uh, had didn't go. To, I went to school from six o'clock in the evening until midnight, all the time I was there. Huh. So, in the daytime, you hung around the barracks, didn't do much. Some if you around. wanted to go to a chow hall, you get four or five guys with you and you'd march them. To the chow hall, march them back. Marching back. Yeah. Uh, you march to school. You know, you'd be four or five of you, and you'd up two, three, four to school, yeah. up two, three, four back. And uh, when going to, they had, uh, chow hall was open four times a day. Hmm. You know, the, it was open at noon, open around five or six, and it was open at midnight and back around again huh. three times a night. Served meals three times a day. Hmm. Uh, and I, I always ate. I'd get out of school, go to chow hall. And obviously that was, you was getting paid to do that. Yeah. Probably not much, huh? I think I got $38 there on the 1st and the 15th. Hmm. I think that's what it was. Uh, and a lot of times when there was three weekends between the 15th and the 1st, one weekend you didn't do nothing. <laughs> you was out, out of money. money. <laughs> I had my car out there. I come home and got my Plymouth. I had that uh, 55 Plymouth when I was in there. Hmm. And I come home and got my car and drove back. And had it all the time I was there. Uh, one of the guys I run around was from the Bronx. When I, I told him, I said, uh, uh, I'm going to go home and get my car. He said, you got a car? And I said, yeah. And I said, I'm going to get my car, bring it back. So he said, well, would you teach me how to drive? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. So when I got back and and I taught him, I taught him how to drive in the parking lot out there. And he said, 
his family had never, no one in his family back as far as you could go ever owned a car. Huh. It, there's no room to park them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of somewhat still the case in some in yeah, New well, Yorkers. A lot of people don't have cars. I went to Hartford, Connecticut for six weeks for insurance school after I, when we started insurance business. Yeah. And uh, Aetna Insurance Company flew me up there to their school. And I said, I really don't want to fly up there. I said, I'll just drive. And they said, no, you don't want to drive. And I said, I'd rather drive up there than I would fly. And they said, well, let me tell you, it costs more to, for a parking place than it does for an apartment. Hmm. And we ain't going to buy you. <laughs> We're not paying for you <laughs> yeah, to park. They paid for my apartment, but they, didn't, they wouldn't pay for a place to park. Huh. Um. Can you tell that Jippy Harmon story? Hmm? Can you tell me tell that Jippy Harmon story you told me the other day? Well, he was in high school with you. Yeah, he was three. He was Jack's age, which is Jack what? Harvey's age. A couple years younger. Yeah, he's three years younger. Three years younger. Yeah, because Jack was another person you do a new from school back then yeah, too, right? Yeah, we were around because high school. He, he turned out to be a relative, but he wasn't yeah. back then. Yeah, Jack and I bummed around some. You know, when he was in high school, and I was he was freshman, I was a senior, uh, and his brother AJ was in my class. Mm. But AJ was a jock; he didn't do any messing around. Oh yeah. Uh, but anyhow. Jack went off to the Navy, and he come home about the same time I got out of uh, Denver and got home. And we got to run around again, and he and I was running around, uh, you know, and he'd be up home. We'd be going someplace, you know, he'd be waiting for me or be there at the house. Yeah. Goddamn, next thing you know, he's dating Sue. Yeah, uh, dating your sister. Yeah. yeah. So Jack ended up being my Uncle Jack. Yeah. Dad's brother-in-law. Yeah, Jack and I spent a lot of time together. And Tony and I spent a lot. We played a lot of golf together. Really? Before, he, guys was, before he was dating Marilyn? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tony... Tony and Donnie were really good golfers, mm -hmm. both of them. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Uh, they played golf when they was this big because yeah. they just lived walking distance to Country Club and they caddied. Uh. So they knew how to play. Uh, they're the ones that kind of got me, them and Jim Emery, got, you playing got golf. me started playing golf and duck. Yeah. I guess that had been another thing. Was that that window of your yeah twenties uh, playing golf too? Yeah. yeah, that's why I was wondering what you what what you's doing to spend your time, your yeah. free time. Yeah, uh, that's how I, I met Heavy. Well, it did not. Heavy lived in Brown Station oh. when I was a kid. And I knew him from I'd walk across the floodwalk. That'd be a strawberry shortcut over to the highway. Yep. And I had to walk past Heavy's house, so I got to know him from up there. And then what's his last name? Heavy Harrison. Harrison. And he moved to out here that where you and I went out to Nell. Yep. 
moved out there and I got away from him. And I started playing golf out Valley View when they built that new golf course. Mm. And there's Heavy. <laughs> so I ended up playing golf with him out there. Now, Heavy was a knife sharpening guy, ain't that right? He was what? Did you, is he the one you said could sharpen a knife? Yeah. Better he was a machinist, knew? tool and die maker over at uh, Naval Ordnance Plant. Mm. And from the people, there's a lot of people lived in New Albany worked at Naval Ordnance. It must have been a really good place to work. Yeah. Uh, yep, yeah, I've heard of that a few times, that people that worked at Naval Ordnance. Uh, Louisville had some, you know, like International Harvester, they say it was a terrible place to work, but you was, had good a job. Money. Yeah. Uh, but the Naval Ordnance is one of them places where they said, boy, that, that's a good place to work. Hmm. That's the same way people worked at Henry Volk. I was wondering that. Said, that in my mind. That's a good place to work. Yeah. Yep, a lot of people, uh, just for the listeners, I worked 28 years yeah. basically at Henry Boat, and I started there when it was still the Henry Boat uh, Machine Company. I, I had a buddy that— 91. Joe Kelty, a friend of mine, he's a year younger than me, went to Holy Trinity and lived up there by us. And he was one of the guys that—he was an altar boy and did everything—nuns loved him. Mm. Uh he went through Providence and just loved going to all the priests and the nuns and all that. Yeah. And he got married in the church, married a Catholic girl. Next thing you know, he got, or got divorced and he hit the skids. He was drunk out in the gutters. Oh, really? Yeah. And then he got himself straightened out hmm. and he got a job at Henry Vogt and he is an expediter. Yeah. He went around with a clipboard. And a stopwatch keeping time on people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Uncle Alfred didn't like him <laughs> or 10 cents. Uh, but uh, he worked over there, and then he hit the skids again and uh, ended up living in uh, one uh, storage room over the top of a beer joint in New Albany down on Vincennes Street. Oh, yeah? Uh, wasn't worth 10 cents. And then he got himself straightened out again and went to work selling Shasta soft drinks. Hmm. And he lives in the village just now. Oh, does he? But he's one of them guys that he went from being a saint to, a, I mean, a, just a, you didn't want to talk to him. Yeah. You know, he's dirty yeah. uh, uh, and drunk all the time. You know, slobber, you drunk. Yeah. Uh, and then he get all slicked up, and he's a sharp dresser. He looked like a million dollars when he got himself straightened out, hmm. and then he'd hit the skids again. But he ended up, uh, ended up, uh, he worked a long time for Shasta. Uh, he he was some kind of sales manager in St. Louis. Uh, Donna and I used to contact him at St. Louis, and we'd go. She always liked to go back to St. Louis. Yep. Uh, and uh, we'd be St. Louis, and we'd always call Joe and who he was married to at the time. <laughs> <laughs> he was married three times. Uh, he lives down in villages now. What's the villages? 
uh, it's a golf community in Florida. Oh, it was it? one of them okay. things where the Arnold Palmer and Nancy Lopez built a golf course and then sold some houses around it. Yeah. And then they sold some more and then they built some more golf courses. Uh, Bob Mare lives in the villages. Hmm. Uh, population 250-something thousand now. Oh, wow. And it started yeah. out as around the golf course. Yeah. Everybody's got a golf cart. And you, get around yeah, you. and your home has got a garage the size of a golf cart. Yeah. And you park your car and forget about it. Uh, churches and movies and restaurants and yeah. everything right there is go to go there in a golf cart. Yeah. Absolutely. No interest in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh so you just went to school with Jippy? He was what was uh, his real name? Huh? Is that was his name? His name was Stuart Ray. Stuart Ray Harmon. His daddy was de- uh, killed in World War II. So he grew up without daddy until he was 15 or 16. And then his mom married a guy. Uh, I never did say, know. Yeah, you don't have to say his name. Yeah. I never did know what his real name was. Uh, uh, he was a Gedling, G E D L I N G, from Jeffersonville. He's a bunch of them. But huh. his name was Rink. That's what they called him. And him. And Jip was in high school, and when his mom married this guy, and Jip didn't have no brothers or sisters or anything, and he and Rink never got along. So Jip lived with Uncle Bob for a while, and he lived with another uh, friend for a while, and this thing. Never did, you know, had a funny life. But anyhow, uh, when he got out of high school, he had a scholarship to play football. He's a hell of a football player. Hmm. Had a scholarship to play football at uh, Indiana State. They were the Sycamores. Yeah. Well, he went up before football season was over. He was back home. Hmm. He said, "I don't play for nobody. Be rooting for a damn tree." <laughs> <laughs> really? While I'm playing football, and he come back and. Uh, bummed around town for a while, and then he joined the Navy. He bought my car, my 32 Ford. Oh, yeah. Uh, But he joined the Navy, and uh, he was deep sea diving in the Navy. Hmm. And when he got out of the Navy... He went to work at John Hopkins uh, diving on their expeditions hmm. under the ice and all that oh, wow. oceanography stuff. Yeah, I saw him on TV once. Really? Yeah, with that Cousteau. Yep. And Jacques Cousteau. He, yeah, he worked with him with John Hopkins for several years and then he uh, he was living in Baltimore and he went in the business of repairing underwater cables and underwater salvage and stuff and he lived on uh, Chesapeake Bay Hmm. and had a 
big house and a boat dock in his backyard with a big sailboat in it and uh, was on top of the world, got a divorce and busted up his easy life. Yeah. And his wife moved back to California with the two girls and Jip married another gal from there in Baltimore. And they come here a time or two. I, I don't know if you remember him or not. He had butterflies on his calf. Yeah, I think I do remember. Yeah. And he, uh, according to him, he come home from work one day and walked in their apartment, and his wife was laying on the floor in a pool of blood, mm. and something hit him in the head, and he don't remember nothing else. Mm. And he got shot in the head. And the police come picked him up and was hauling him to the morgue, thought he was dead. And he started moving around, so they took him to the hospital. And he was in a coma for three or four months. And he finally come out of that coma and got half well. And they charged him with murder mm. and attempted suicide. And he said he didn't do that. He said it was a burglary. And they, when he walked in the door and he saw his wife, they shot him in the head. And he's blind. Yeah. And I, he came here once at least blind. Yeah. I know yeah, maybe he come more here times. Twice than that. blind. Yeah. yeah. And they, uh, he had got a lawyer. They charged him with murder and attempted suicide. And. They cleaned up everything because they thought both people were dead. Mm. So there wasn't no evidence taken or nothing. Yeah. All they knew is... It looked like the story was written or wasn't yeah. nothing else to do and yeah. just cleaned it up and yeah. bury them. Right. Well, mop up and get out of here. So when he recovered, they charged him with murder and... He got a lawyer, and a lawyer told him, you know, there's no, we, we don't have any defense. There, you know, all the evidence is gone. There's no tracks or traces or nothing. Best thing for you to do, he said, I'll rig it where you can plead guilty to some kind of manslaughter, and you'll probably get six months in prison, and they'll send you to the uh, Maryland, uh, some kind of hospital. And uh, go through physical therapy and learn how to function with no sight. Yeah. And then you'll be on probation for a while. But that's the best thing to do. So he went to court and pled guilty to that. Some kind of homicide. Some kind of reduced charge. And they said six months in a Maryland penitentiary, or six years in a Maryland penitentiary. Oh, wow. So he did six months in a, or six years in a penitentiary. Hmm. And they kicked him out on the street blind. Never taught him anything while he's in the pen. And fortunately, uh, the what, National Federation for the Blind or something like that? 
you know, it's like the yeah. Louisville School of Mind. Yeah. Their headquarters in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. And somebody pointed him there. <clears throat> and they did teach him how to read Braille and how to type. And how to walk. get around, walk yeah. with the cane. and Yeah. Uh-oh. So he could get around. He did. I guess he was on a disability the rest of his life. Yeah. But anyhow, he could function. He yeah. got around. He lives in Daytona now. Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. And he's got a service dog. Yeah, I was going to say, did he? I seem to have a recollection of that, but I don't know. Uh, but anyhow, it was one of them things. He was going to move back to New Albany. And he was, talked to Donna and I, and we said, well, we'll find you an apartment where Tark runs. And you can, he, he had a deal where he was going to go to a uh, little school of blind and do some kind of teaching or instruction yeah. over there. So we found him an apartment and made a, uh, the security deposit or whatever on it. And his mom called and said, Tim, don't bring Jip back to New Albany. Hmm. Uh, it's too much on me because him and Rink don't get along and he'll want to come see me and Rink don't want him around. Hmm. So she said, don't, don't bring him back to New Albany. And I said, well, well I've already rented an apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's already got a job in Louisville. And she said, do what you can. So I just told him. I said, Jip, your mom don't want you to come back to New Albany. Yeah, that's about all you could do. Yeah. So uh, so he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. He was, well, I don't know. I liked him. I got along fine with him. And I never... Uh, uh, never uh, disbelieved him or doubted that he and Donna sat right don't, here. Don't push that too it. far away. Keep that huh? closer to you. Oh. You keep on pushing it away. Yeah. <laughs> Donna uh, pointedly asking, did you kill uh, Mary Jane? And he said, no. The story I told you exactly true. He said, I'd that's that's what happened, and yeah, I I took the took the heat for it, and that's what happened. Yeah. He said people can believe whatever they want to believe about it, yeah. but that's what happened. Well, you know Donald that evidence, believe him. that evidence thing of that you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, not guilty and have to prove <laughs> your innocence. Yeah, but that ain't the way it always works. Yeah, and you. That, but he was, uh, when I went in the service, a uh, bunch of us guys, uh, the Cumberson Mansion at that time belonged to the American Legion. Hmm. And a bunch of us guys, me and Wes Cook and, and Spank Bensing. That's something that's uh, of uh, age when so many of these guys had nicknames yeah that, uh, like yeah I, mean, I think about all the friends you had that had some kind of nickname yeah and uh you well know, you know i wouldn't know that i'd see their name in the paper if they didn't put the nickname in there 
I wouldn't know who it was. Right. You'd be like a well, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people didn't know. I, Louis Bodner once called me when I was married and said, Tim, what's Peachy's name? Yeah. You know, and there's, his name was William Cecil. I knew his name was for a long time. Yeah. But most people knew him as Peachy and didn't have any other idea. Buddy Cook, he was buddy to me until just a year or so ago. And he said, Tim, don't call me Buddy anymore. Call me Wes. Uh. <laughs> and I, I've been calling him since we was 13. I've been calling him Buddy. Yeah, well, it's a hard habit to break. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of guys like Tony. Tony's name wasn't Tony. Yeah. Uh, now Jack's name was Jackie. Jackie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and his brother's name was AJ. Didn't have a name. He just was AJ. That it was, was just AJ. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of guys had nicknames. Uh, was Ralph? Ralph was. Is was he Jack's brother too? Huh? Was Ralph? Jack's brother too. Yeah, Ra- uh, Jack had a couple of sisters that I didn't know that were older than Ralph and Robert. But Ralph graduated from high school in '51, hmm. and Robert graduated in '53, and AJ graduated in '55, and Jack graduated in '58. Hmm. So that's how it went. Yeah, I, they come from Burksville, Kentucky, or someplace. Moved hmm. here. His dad worked for the Army Quartermaster. Huh. So, what, who was the story you told me the other night about the guy that ended up shooting his dad? Jimmy Jack. Jimmy, Jimmy Jack, Jack McMail. Jimmy Jack. Oh. Uh, he he ended up being a tool and die maker for Sissel Manufacturer. Hmm. Sissel made commercial clothes washers and dryers. Yeah. That he was a tool and die maker, a really skilled guy. Uh, but his dad was uh, you know, one of them people you nobody wanted to be around. When it come time for his dad to get home from work, everybody flew off like a bunch of starlets. Yeah. Alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, he was mean to everybody. I mean, you know, if you if you was there when he come over and work, he'd all get kicked real good in the butt. Hmm. Yeah, he'd run you off like you was a yard dog. Hmm. He lived just two doors down the road from Bud or West. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of kids lived around there uh, when we grew up. Uh, the Grants's lived next door to us, and yeah. they had a girl about Marilyn's age, and then Ronnie was a year older than me, and they had a boy named Bobby, and Bobby was three years older than me, and Sonny, I think, was six years older than me. But there's a lot of, a lot of kids. There was a guy uh, lived there that I see quite a bit of the last 20, 30 years, Gene Hutchins hmm. uh, lived two doors from us. You remember Mrs. Broy that come mm-hmm. to visit Mom all the time? Yep. Well, Gene lived in that little house before Mrs. Broy moved mm-hmm. into it. And 
they moved away. Gene and his mom and dad moved. I don't know where they moved to, hmm. but they were gone for, you know, I, I didn't see Gene until I bumped into him, I think, on a golf course. Oh. Yeah, Mrs. Broy and Mrs. Barger, is that, was it? it there's Gibson. There was a Mrs. Gibson uh, lived down the other way. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking over there it was two houses and there was old ladies that lived in them and for some reason we would visit them when we were little kids. Huh. And I still can't know, I don't know why we did. I don't know what the people's name were that lived when Grances moved out. The people that lived in that house. Uh, for a while, some people named maybe. Carpenter. Yeah. And I never did know any of them, and they all seemed... They were rougher than hell. <laughs> ...this close to being criminals. Yep. All of them. Women, men, all of them. Yep. Uh, I, I, I never was around them much. Uh, the Geethys lived in that brick house on the other side of Vernon's. Mm-hmm. And he owned a hardware store down on Vincennes Street, uh, about where Shooters is, or whatever that beer joint is. Yep. He had a hardware store there called Hardware Exchange, hmm. and they had a daughter named Shirley that was someplace between me and Marilyn's age, and she went to Holy Trinity. But there was a Mrs. Gibson that mom walked with a lot. Hmm. Uh, she had a son named Tim that's a fishing guide. I don't think he is anymore. Yeah, I remember a Tim Gibson as a fishing guide at Patoka Lake. Yeah. I'd see, I don't know why, but I'd see stuff yeah. about him. I don't know. Yeah, that was her son. Hmm. So uh, uh, I think we covered most of that kind of time period pretty good. Uh, uh, if you think up anything, like you remember something when you're sitting up there, yeah, write a little note and say, <laughs> "Oh yeah, this story here about this." Well, well I, Jimmy Jack ended up his dad's alcoholic. And he ended up shooting his dad. Yeah, tell me that. Uh, he I was on a Sunday. And his dad was one of them people that just liked to beat up his kids and his wife. And Jimmy Jack was 16, I guess. And uh, one Sunday, his dad was throwed a tirade and beat up his little sister, Debbie, I think her name was, and give her a black eye and a bloody nose and... Then he tore into his wife and beat her up real good. And Jimmy Jack said, get out of here and don't come back. If you come back, I'm going to shoot you. And he said, you ain't going to shoot nobody, kid. And he went after Jimmy Jack and he shot him. And they put him in jail overnight. And Judge Meshmeyer, I think, uh, was a little bit aware about because the neighbors kept the yeah. sheriff and all up to date on how bad Mr. McMail was. He was a two on die maker, a real talented guy. Hmm. But boy, he had a two wires loose. Yeah. And anyhow, they 
Oh. Put him in jail for a couple of days and turned him yeah, loose. He's in jail overnight, maybe the next day, and then they finally, uh, the judge sat down and talked with Jimmy Jack and, and uh, told him, you know, you, what you got to do is put all this behind you, take care of your mom and your sister, yeah. and and uh, try to get your life back together. And that's what he did. It'd be a tough thing to get back to recover from. Uh, yeah, and that was uh, that was. Uh, but of course, if it was that bad by that time, he probably hated the dude so bad that uh, you know, or else he wouldn't have been able to shoot him. Yeah. What did you say? He shot him with a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was on a Sunday. I remember uh, West come over and told me about it. He come up. He said, "Jimmy Jack just shot his dad." Hmm. And I said, "Oh no!" And he said. Yeah, but he said, you know, I know why. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, me too. He's one of them guys that knew somebody was going to shoot him sometime. Yeah. But he got married shortly after that, and he took care of his mom and his sister the rest of his life. And he... Huh? Sound like your printer started printing. I thought I heard your printer upstairs start printing. Oh, <laughs> uh, and he was it wasn't he ended up in wasn't he he was in the bass club right? Yeah, yeah. He used to come to these picnics yep, or the, right, you know yep. the summer picnics we went to all the time. His wife never was Sharon. I don't know. He had a. He appeared to adjust from that, and yeah, he did just move on and yeah, but he had a. a He had a daughter, Jimmy Jack did, that married uh, married a guy, and I know her dad, or I know his dad, he Bob, uh, <laughs> known him forever. It don't matter yeah. that much. Tell yeah. what about it? But anyhow. Uh, Married this kid, never married a couple of years, and damn if he, the guy didn't uh, commit suicide. Oh, really? So, you know, he had another one of them tragedies in his life that he uh, had to deal with. Shoot. What year did you meet Mom? Huh? What year did you meet Mom? Oh, uh, Christmas time of 66. I had a, a, I don't guess you ever, well, Judy Senex was married to Gerald. Yeah. Well, she had a brother, Joe, that was close to my age. Yeah. And Joe was married, but he run around, went to all ball games with us, you know, at nighttime, stayed out too late and run around, had no morals at all. <laughs> but, uh, he was a pretty good friend, and he worked down at New Albany Plumbing, and I ate lunch with him every day at Tommy's. Now you and, say that no morals, but everybody talks about him like, well, well he's a really good guy. Well, he he's was. He was a, he's a fun he's guy to different. be around, but he he had the morals it. of an yeah. alley cat. <laughs> uh, and anyhow, we ate lunch together, and was there one day, and it was getting close to Christmas time, and 
uh, Joe said, Tim, uh, I want to, Judy's sister-in-law needs a date, go to Christmas party, Christmas dance. And she's away at college, and she's going to come home, and Judy wants me to get her a date. And I said, Joe, don't talk to me about blind dates. I don't do blind dates. And I said, I'm 30 years old, and I'm looking for some schoolgirl. And I said, get somebody else. Well, the next day he had asked me, well, Judy asked me again. She can't find anybody. And why don't you take her out? She's really a nice girl. And she goes to Washington University. And I said, I ain't interested in her. And he said, well, you know Gerald. And I said, yeah, I know Gerald, but I don't want to know his sister. And he kept asking me, and he kept asking me, and I finally said, all right, I'll go. So I went to that Christmas dance. And Did you meet her there? Huh? Like, no, no, I went out to her house, picked her, her up. up. <laughs> And we went to that thing. Gerald was there and Ronnie Merriweather and uh, Roy Emerson, all them Georgetown guys, Joe Hinton and all them guys, you know, that was a Georgetown thing. And uh, there I was. Georgetown don't like New Albany back then. Yeah. And Georgetown don't like Catholics. <laughs> and <laughs> there I was, you know, and all them guys had... Uh, played on a different basketball team. I had a basketball team at Jim Emery and Jim Hartfield and Lyle Houston and Jerry Solomon, Bill Henry, a whole bunch of New Albany heroes played on. Georgetown had a team, and that's who all them guys were, Gerald and Roy Emerson and Joe Hinton, them guys. They had a team, and we beat the hell out of them every time we played. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so they didn't like me because of that. Yeah. So anyhow, I'm at this party, and I go to uh, take Donna home. And there's one of them things. I said, what are you doing tomorrow evening? And she said, well, I don't have any plans. And I said, well, Donna, I'll come out, and we'll go do something. We'll go to Louisville. So I come went out there the next night and picked her up. We went to a beer joint in Louisville called the Wood Nickel hmm. that had a couple guys played up. Uh, tuba and a banjo and a just made noise <laughs> and drank beer and took her home and then she, she called me and wanted to go so I don't remember where we went went to a movie and then before long it's time for her to go back to school and I, I said, you know, uh, some weekend I'll just come out and see you. So in a week or end or two, I drove out and spent a weekend with her out there. Her and her girlfriend, or she lived with Carol Bra Bach. I mean, Bach yeah, yeah, I remember her. So went out, spent a weekend there, and then she come back home for a weekend, and then we'd go out there for a weekend. Next thing you know, we said, let's get married. And he'll say, if you met her in December of 66, you got married in April 1st yeah. of 67. Yeah. 
And Couldn't have been a whole lot of weekends. We was going to go off and get married. And she said, I can't, Mom wants to have a wedding. Mom, Deb wants to have, and I said, I don't want to have a big wedding. I said, I, I, Excuse me. Feel, you know, I feel like I'm beyond that. And she said, well, I got to do it. So anyhow, we had a big wedding on April Fool's Day. Yep. Because something about the church I think that was the first Saturday after Lent. You couldn't get married during Lent. Uh-huh. So we couldn't get married before that. Yeah. So we got married on April Fool's Day. And all the people, including the telephone operator at Georgetown, was Donna's. Donna's pregnant. She'd get married in a hurry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, I know we... Uh, uh, we bumped in two years and four months later. Yeah, we bumped into one of Donna's girls that she went to high school with that still lived out there. Can't think what her name is. Anyhow, we had you in our arms, and you was like this, and you know, and, you know, they're talking about, yeah, this is Dan, you know, and he's born in August, you know, and this and that. And she said, well, where's your other child? And Donna said, well, this is our first. And she said, oh, you had one earlier. <laughs> and Donna said, no. And she was having a puzzled look on her face. And, and you know, Donna could be pretty blunt. Yeah. And she said... Judy was that girl's name. Can't think of what her last. He said, Judy, you was one of them people thought I was pregnant when I got married, wasn't you? And Judy's face got all. <laughs> and she was stuttering. No, no. <laughs> but she'd already, she'd already committed herself yeah. to that <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> but when we went together, when we dated, they had an operator that had one of them telephones you plug in like this. Yeah. And I'd call out there, and the operator would answer the, had the phone, and she'd say, Tim Don's not home yet. <laughs> and I'd say, well, okay, I'll call back later. Yeah, well, was it Green Acres TV show? I think yeah, that's they got you one saw of them. that yeah. in there from a visual. Yeah, but they actually had one of them yeah. out there. But I know they only had, I don't know when they changed, but I know there's some stuff about those guys, all those phone numbers up there uh, were all four four digits in in sequence. Yeah. And it was all on party line. You know, if you lived out there, you could pick up your telephone and listen to Tim Donner. Yeah. And the highway wasn't built yet. The you know, had to go up the old... Yeah, the interstate wasn't uh, built. You had to yeah, go up, had to go up Carden Pike and yeah. Georgetown that way. Yeah, because that was what? When did they build that? I, well, uh, probably 62, something like that. And Maybe that, later than that. Yeah, I was going to say, because we're up into 66 and 67. Oh, we're 67, yeah. Uh, 72, maybe? 72, Yeah. Yeah, 
I know one of the stories that grandmother used to talk about was that they, her dad's car, when they went up there, they'd have to go up the hill in reverse. Yeah. That was the only gear that was <laughs> tough enough to climb up the hill. Yeah. Yeah, and there was, and I think it's still there, there was a spring there that somebody stuck a pipe in. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. And the water ran out of it all. Yeah. And most everybody had to stop there and put some water in the radiator. Yeah, to get up the carry hill. Carry on going up the hill. Yeah. And it was and a they trip. Live, did, did they live where they where Timmy lives now is that yeah. the same place yeah. was the plant going at that point in time yeah so they had a yeah. meat packing plant or whatever you want to call it butcher yeah. plant yeah yeah they that house I think they built that house in 51 hmm. I think it's older than I think Donna told me that because uh, uh, they they lived there close to the drive-in that's yep. where she lived was growing up and then they built that house up there above the plant. I got a memory of her saying that their house burned down. No, uh-uh. Huh. I got some memory like that for some reason or someplace, and I don't know where I got it. And I said no. something to Gerald about it, and Gerald was doing that too. And no. I don't know where I got that story. No. Uh, it was still there. The Optimus Club ended up owning, buying that yep. building, and they used that house for a clubhouse for a little bit. Hmm. And then they tore it down, built that club or the Optimus building there. Yeah. And mom was still going to school too, right? Yeah. When y'all got married and into yeah, yeah, early marriage, she yeah, was going she to kept school. Going, in she was going St. back. Louis. Yeah, we had apartment on on DePaul Avenue, upstairs apartment. Uh huh. And uh, she went back and forth to school. Like we'll go right there out for the end of May. And so, like, come home on the weekends, and yeah. uh, I got to thinking, you know, school may not have been, you know, maybe, maybe she had school on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and yeah. didn't have school on. Uh, I don't know. She told me, and I believe her, that she went to college six years and never had a morning course. <laughs> Yeah, mom didn't like the mornings. No, <laughs> she didn't see very many of them. <laughs> well, we went another two hours. Want to take a break? I reckon. All right, I'm gonna stop it now. I don't remember what day we went out. It was right before Christmas. The first time Don and I went out it was on a weekend. I don't even remember where we went. Not the dance, but the next time y'all went out. No, the to that dance. To that dance. I don't know where it was. Huh. Might have been Georgetown School. Hmm. I, I don't remember. Uh, it was one of them things that I didn't want to go, and I was okay with Donna when I saw her. Oh well, you know. Yeah. At least it ain't. Yeah, yeah. At least, uh, uh, at least she's pretty. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't remember much about that night at all. But I, I remember before we left, uh, when I took her home, I said I'll call you, and I did. And we went out a night or two later, and then we went out again and went out again. 
probably home for Christmas break. Yeah. Kind of a whirlwind. Uh, when she was home, we always went spent a little time with mom and dad. And mom and dad... Your mom and dad. Yeah, liked her. I have a, I don't know why, but you know, those, those, those two houses are such an anchor in my childhood. Yeah. You know, because I spent a reasonable amount of time with both my grandparents, the best I can remember. At least I got a lot of memories. You know, I guess we dumped you off at Mom's or Miller's. But I don't, yeah, that's probably taking so, a little bit too far, but, uh, I never did feel like my parents were dumping me off. First off, going there, they both had great places to go. You know, yeah. there was woods around and there was yeah, fun stuff, stuff to do. To do. And, yeah, uh, yeah, we didn't stick you in. A, uh, but I don't know what what we involved in when we did that. But uh, I know uh, Sue and Jack once made a comment about how we. Burden mom and dad. Oh, really? With them kids, you know, too often. Huh. And I thought, you know, after after you guys got big enough where we didn't dump you off anyplace. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I don't don't seem like we did that very often. And well, it I didn't don't, feel. I've got a lot of memories, but it didn't feel. Uh, it didn't feel often. It didn't feel because I still have plenty of memories of being around you. I know and you and Neil spent a lot of time at both places. And Ronnie and Janet's. Yeah, I remember spending yeah. the night with Ronnie and Janet quite yeah. a bit too. If I kind of you know you fuzz up your head and you don't really remember to you know too much of that. I, I tell some joke when I'm talking that I say, if I knew I was going to be telling this story, I'd have kept better track. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but. <laughs> You know, and like going up there to grandmother's, I idolized Timmy. He had motorcycles and snakes yeah. and, you yeah. know, all kinds of cool stuff. And he was pretty decent to me when I, for being 10 years younger, Yeah, he played with me or he had entertained me. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, you go up there and uh, all them dudes are cutting up meat. And yeah. they let you just come down there and sit with them and watch them kill cows and cut them into pieces and as <laughs> yeah. far as a little boy went that was our that was cool stuff to be watching i yeah. didn't have any other friends that got to see that no yeah. i always tell people i uh, i'm not confused i never was confused to where my meat came from yeah you know i wouldn't i remember once you brought some eyeballs home yeah. Uh, I had it for a school project. I could take in was these, that what it was? I could take these parts into school and get extra credit for them. <laughs> and, uh, I think I got eyeballs a few times. And Did you? I can't remember I, what's that. What is the solution? It was terrible smelling stuff. I don't uh, know if it was formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. And yeah. dump, dumped them eyeballs down yeah. in there. And in some of my classes, I got credit because we would dis bisect them or whatever. Oh, dissect yeah. them when we cut them up. Yeah. And get the lens out and. Huh. Uh, I got all kinds of uh, props and uh, good karma from dragging in cow eyeballs. And then, uh, of yeah, there ain't many kids that's exposed to any of that. 
I never was. Yeah. I can remember being a little shocked at first when I was down there, but I remember somebody saying, Granddad and them guys was, told me, you yeah. sure? Because you want to watch this? You yeah. know, you may want to walk over there for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, remember once, and Dad and Uncle Alfred and maybe Uncle Henry, uh, was going to butcher some a couple of hogs at Alfred's place. Then where you and I went yep. to visit Alfred, and I remember uh, the uh, slopped the hogs, and you and you poured that sl- uh, hog slop in that trough in there. Them hogs hit it like that, and they're all down in there with the head in that. And uh, they walk, knew which one they killed two of them. They walked over with the 22 rifle and popped them between the eyes, two of them. And then they had a big pot of boiling water and dunked that thing in and opened it up and spilled the guts out everywhere. Uh, I know it was an opener for me. I only saw it one time. And I. Uh, Never, never really wanted to get involved in it again after that. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you have? Ch- did you all raise chickens when you was a kid? Yeah. So you probably saw that. Yeah. And then did you say rabbits at one some too? Yeah. Huh? Had yeah. Eaten, yeah. Either rabbits or eating. Rabbits? I never the the rabbits we raised. I never did kill any of them. Uh, Dad always did that. He'd kill them, skin them. But I I'd chop chickens' heads off a lot. We had a stump out back that had two, like, 16p nails sticking up out of it. And you have that chicken by the legs and lay them down there and their head in between that two nails. Yeah. And you just took one chop and pitch a chicken outside and let them flop and carry so on until it's uh, done flopping. But I did. I have a, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I was at my grandparents and uncles and stuff like that exactly enough. Yeah. You know, I was always hanging around with a cousin. Yeah, I was always I'm trying to think of what what we'd have done. You know, what have you been doing? Yeah, what what we did while, when we, when we dropped you off. You what might have come home and laid around, uh-huh. <laughs> get some peace and quiet. Uh, yeah, that is an interesting point, and I, I remember being in both of those places uh, enough. I remember Granddad taking me down, and we watched that train go in the tunnel. Oh yeah, when I was a little kid. Yeah, we watched that train go in that tunnel, and then when it was getting there, we turned and we drove down to the other end of it and watched the train come, come out, out the, the other end. side of yeah. it. I remember doing that at least once. There was some kind of reservoir there, Georgetown Reservoir. I think it was across the street from them, across 64. There was a lake he took me to a few times. Well, it could have been that Georgetown Reservoir that's being up there where Holly lives. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, as I said, it was on. I do have a recollection of going across 64. Yeah. You remember we went ice fishing up there once. Did we? Yeah. That's another thing I, uh, I can remember ice fishing. I can I probably remember that, but that was I don't know. That's 
I don't remember, remember what year it was. Henryville Forestry and Ice Fishing yeah. once. And of course, later on, we tried, We I think we did a little bit of ice fishing at Lee's. Yeah. Just playing around, I think, yeah. which is goofing off. Just I don't think, I don't know if I ever caught a fish out of the ice. Yeah, I'm not sure I have either. <laughs> I know I punched a lot of holes. I remember Dave Hoover coming here from to work at the Joseph Rock School. And Dave is my age. Uh, come here from someplace northern Indiana. Hmm. In that real cold winter we had when the schools was closed up, and Don and I would, you kids, I don't know what you did. We went out the back door and went to Steinert's and played Euchre. And oh, did you? Sit around over there. I remember at some point we had to do a little schooling on TV all yeah. the way back in, you know. Yeah. It would only be like I 45 minutes. Miss Stevens, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Rose I think Stevens? Yeah. Because uh, I remember my, I did mine in your all's bedroom. You yeah. had a TV in the bedroom, and I can remember doing my school in, in there. Huh. But, uh, yeah. But when Dave come here in that real cold winter, and I mean it was cold, and he asked me, he said, did you ever do any ice fishing? And I said, I've done a lot of fishing, but I never done any ice fishing. And he said, you want to go in the morning? We'll go up to Hardy. And I said, Dave, I don't know about ice fishing. I don't have no gear or nothing. And he said, you got any warm clothes? And I said, yeah, I got a lot of warm clothes. And he said, I got everything else. And he said, meet me here in the morning. And he had a Bronco of some kind, I think. Huh. And I met him over at Standards, and I had on all my hunt like I was going to sit in a tree stand all day or something. So I was all bundled up, plenty had plenty of warm clothes. And we went up to Hardy, and he had some things like that uh, spud bar that we got. Yeah. He had miniature size of them things. And we, he, we went out on, he said, I've, I've fished here a million times, and I always like, like the back of my hand. Well, you know, it's got this much snow on it, and he's pulling a sled. It's got little plastic sleds, got a bunch of crap on it. So we get out there, and he said, this is the place right here. Uh, and he had a shovel in there, you shovel that snow away, and punch a hole in ice about this big. And he had a couple little sharp fishing rods like this. And, I mean, it was cold. And out in the middle of that lake, you know, wind was blowing like crazy. Yeah. And the hole would freeze over again. You had a little dipper that you'd scoop. Yeah, I remember the, doing that too. Skipping the scoop the ice thing. off, and we fished there. And he said, "We got to go. This ain't. Uh, we don't catch no fish here." So we moved a couple hundred yards down there, punch another hole. You know, shovel the snow away and punch a, a hole. A lot of work. Dip, dip in ice some more. We went all over Hardy punching it, and and I, I finally said, "Let's come back when there ain't no ice on this thing." Yeah. <laughs> if we come home, come back down to beer joint, got warmed up again. Next day, we're sitting over a Courage Journal come out, and it's got a picture of two guys fishing up to Hardy, and they got bluegill this big, oh, stacked yeah? up like cardwood, huh. and had their picture. I don't remember who they were. But uh, 
the the picture in the paper, you know, it said this this is how good the ice fishing was at Hardy yesterday. <laughs> Made the news. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing we didn't talk about. I remember when the lake was being built and I can remember going yeah, of course. That's after you know that gets to be where we can save some of that. Like I said, that first time we did from about what as far back as you could remember to someplace up around high school. Yeah. And today we went from someplace about high school up to when you and mom got married. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember what year that lake or our pond up there filled up, but I remember when they built it. The lake or the pond? The the lake at Henryville. Oh, oh yeah, the lake at Henryville. Yeah, I completely forgot about that too. Yeah, I don't remember, but I remember we all, everybody in the family was guessing when it was going to fill up, hmm. and it filled up sometime in April. When it got full, I don't know what year it was. Yeah, because that's the thing. You know, all those memories, and I can't know. It's almost like I don't know how we had time to do anything else. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, there seemed like there was a period of time when we I, I was like living at Henryville. Yeah, we swear every weekend it felt like. I think we were there every weekend. Uh, and I remember Donna would come home and then come back up Sunday morning. Yep, and we'd spend the night and yeah. Um, and then I remember same kind of thing, sort of with uh, when we had a boat and we were fishing on Potoka Lake. It felt like we went fishing every damn weekend. Yeah. And uh, but I mean maybe this is a little section here and a little section here and. <laughs> Like we can't stack all that. It doesn't work. Like I don't see how we crammed it all in. Uh, yeah. And uh, you, uh, you know, seemed like deer season. We went deer hunting every weekend. Yeah. I don't it know does. how many times we went to leash. You know, stay. I don't deer. either. But I remember, it seems like I remember a bunch. It probably yeah. maybe wasn't as many as I think. Yeah. And then you went by on your own some, right? Yeah. And I didn't go. Yeah. Uh, and I remember running around, tagging along behind you, fixing stuff at people's houses. Yeah. <laughs> So-and-so needed something, and <laughs> yeah, off we go. And Yeah. I have some memory of changing out a motor in a washing machine, and I don't know why, but I have some memory of being a little kid. Yeah. And, you know, I was helping. <laughs> I think uh, I remember taking changing a motor, and I... I, I somebody to, else's. <clears throat> yeah, I, yeah, it wasn't mine. I, I'll have to scratch my head and th try to remember who that was, but I remember doing that. But if somebody asked me to do something, I was all for it. Yeah. I did uh, that. I always felt like uh, there was a community of people that help one another. Yeah. You know, if you need some help doing this, one of them guys would come over and help you do that, or a couple yeah. of them, and you was going off helping people do this and do that. And Yeah. I don't, you know, moving. Uh Golly, you know, I don't know how many people I helped move. And then when we moved from that apartment over to uh, View, uh I don't know who helped me move. I never did have a truck. I never owned a truck. Yeah. Uh, but we moved from there to Knobview, 
and a few years later we moved from Knobview to here and I don't know who helped me move to here. Yeah. I don't know who helped me move from here to Brookwood. Well, we did that mostly. I had a couple buddies. Uncle Gerald helped us move. Did he? Yeah. Uh, but we pretty much did. I mean, I think we had some heavy lifting power friends. A couple friends come over. Yeah. Mine, I think. I uh, can't remember who, though. Yeah, I don't either. I don't. I, Seemed like all of a sudden we was moved in every place I went. I, one thing I remember about that is I was checking the time and I dropped my damn cell phone on the ground. Really? And busted it into a million. It was my first cell phone. <laughs> uh, and then that's when I went to the store and I said, I need a new phone. And they said, what do you want? What do you want? And I said, well, this one's broke. I just like to have one like it. And the guy said, have you ever seen these iPhones? See what iPhone? Oh, he said, right? "You ever seen these iPhones?" And I said, <laughs> "No, I." And I really didn't have any interest in it at all. I said, "I just want a phone." And he was, "Let me show you something." He said, "What's your favorite website?" And at the time, it was AR15.com. <laughs> and he goes, doo, 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 and he pulled up AR15.com on Is the right? phone. And <laughs> up to that point, I was anchored down to a computer if I wanted to surf the internet. You yeah. know, if I wanted to do any of that. When I saw that, my brain said. I can look stuff up on the internet on my telephone. Uh, That's what I want. Give me one. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, them telephones have completely changed the culture. Yeah, everyone. Yep. When and old guys are my age, we go out there to McDonald's. Every one of them's got one of them phones like yours. Yep. And it goes ring. They got whose phone's that ringing? You know, and everybody's reaching in their pocket for her phone. Yep. Uh, and they, they had, uh, every one of those guys, there's probably eight or ten of them out there. Every one of them will get five or six phone calls yeah. in a two or three hour span sitting out there. And I know it's like that all day long, probably. Yeah, my phone rings all day long, but most of it's junk and I don't answer yeah. too much of it. Uh, my older clients, you know, I work for a lot of older people and they text. Yeah. You know, that they. Yeah. I don't, I might be the only guy in southern Indiana that don't yeah. have one. One of the few. Definitely one of the few, anyway. Yeah, and I know uh, every piece of thing, paper you fill out, any kind of form that's asking for information, one of the first questions on it after name and address What's your cell phone is mobile. Number? Yep. It's changed, they're changed things for sure. You think about that uh, from party lines yeah, to people having their own phone, but you had that yeah. spiral cord yeah. anchored to the kitchen and then started putting phone jacks in different rooms yeah. in the house and then everybody had a phone yeah, in the remember room. Remember when we moved in here and there was a phone jack just about everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought, boy, this is something or telephones are work. Yeah. We have one plugged in to get telephones from Jim Costin. You know, yep. plug one here, plug one in the basement, had a plug out in the patio. Yeah. Uh, when the phone rang, it rang everywhere. <laughs> and uh, people would come visit. 
They have a phone ring and people are there. Where's that phone? It's here and there. No, you know, hell is everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Didn't have to go very far to get it. I think at one time it was a, well, in one of the bathrooms there was a phone check. Huh. I know I see that wire in people's houses and they'll say, what's this? Yeah. That's yeah. a telephone cord. You don't yeah. need that anymore. <laughs> and at least two people have hired me to go down in the basement and tear it all out. Cable yeah. TV and telephone, they just have this wire everywhere. And they said, well, that's can, like you take, can you clean this? Yeah, this house got it all down there. But I don't know. I'm not going too much worry about it, right? It's yeah. not hurting me any. I've uh, thought about taking it out, but I don't know. That's what? Yeah, the telephone wire? Yeah. You can't. Well, you can't take telephone wire out because you'll lose your telephone. Yeah. We still uh, got a landline. Yeah, I was pulling TV wire out from... Used to be one went around here yep. through the wall. And I got to thinking, hell, I might put my television out, so. Always try to be just who they want. 